So I'm going to ask Levi to come up and uh, we're actually going to continue from last week. Last week we had a Q&A and uh, we had so many good questions left over. So we thought we'd just continue that tonight. So I'm not sort of preaching, teaching, although I'm going to try and give answers. You know, we're going to bounce off scripture and try and get some, some biblical wisdom on some of these things. This is not just uh, our opinion session. It's not an our opinion <laughs> session. Um, well, we're trying not to make it too much of that. Uh, but we just sort of felt like last week, it was really focused on things that really press against your faith, maybe pressure points with our society, with our communities, um, what we're finding. We tried to zero in on that. And so we probably drilled down on just a few questions fairly deep. Well, we want to do the opposite this week. We want to just shoot around a whole heap of different topics that came up. Although... Uh, romantic relationships figured prominently. There's a slight theme around slight, relationships. Slight theme so, around um, so, uh, so how this is going to work is I've got my laptop here not to um, just play, you know, it's a snake or something. So if you scan this QR code, you'll get a link to a form where you can submit questions. It can be anonymous or you can put your name depending on how brave you feel. I won't call you out, don't worry, unless, well, you know, who knows? Uh, run the risk if you want. Uh, but you can just submit questions anonymously. I'll get them here and we'll try to get to all of them, but obviously there's already a lot of scanning of QR codes going on, so we might not get to all of them. But what I loved last week was actually that the conversation continued in the foyer, yeah, that it wasn't yeah. just, this is something we do in here. Obviously, church is not just a service. It's not just a building. It's a community. And I think just one really important thing that came out of last week is that it's okay to ask questions. Someone came up to me after the service and kind of said, look, I was feeling actually a little bit bad for having you know, a certain question. And it was a question that I've asked a thousand times and I've discussed and I've talked to other people about. And I think it's important to realise that questions aren't um, adverse to our faith. They're not, they don't go against our faith. It's actually really important to ask questions. Uh, and at the same time, it's, sometimes it's okay to not know the answer as well. So, uh, hey, I think we should start with this one from last week. It was the second question that came through last week, but a bit off topic from last week for what we were talking about last week. But what is the difference between lust and love. Let's get into the relationship ones. <laughs> okay, let's dive in the shallow end to start tonight. That's a, it's a good question. That's a That's great a question. question, actually, um, because I think our society in general is very confused about that. Um, yeah. and, and it's not hard to be confused along with it all because we're absolutely bombarded in that area. Um, I mean, I'd go straight to Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which gives us a very good outline of this is what love is. And it says things like love is patient. Love is kind. Mm. Love prefers others. I think they're all things that lust does not share. Yeah. I just don't, don't see lust fitting in that same framework. Lust tends to be, uh, I want it and i got to have it right now. Mm. And maybe with the often unrealised impact of, and it really doesn't matter how it affects someone else. I want to fulfil... So pornography in our, in our society is probably a very clear example of that, and it's really interesting that the industry is not called out for the abuses that it has. It is possibly one of the most enslaving mechanisms of our society that uses people, enslaves them, burns them up, and spits them out, and no one's talking about that. And I, I think it's probably because so many people are trapped in it, affected by it. They don't want to raise alarm bells. They don't want to be the one to blow the whistle in case they're asked a question. So it's like this, um, 
this terrible festering thing that's going along going on in our society but one thing for sure is that the people within that by and large are being used by other people that's lust mm. love has commitment as i said it has patience it has longevity it has forgiveness uh it ultimately looks out for the best interest of the other person. Love puts other people first. Lust puts you first. Very good. Okay, yeah. simple answer, but I think that's that's but, roughly but gets it. Caveat, I'd add to that too, is I think uh, lust is a feeling. I think that love more often than not is a decision. It's got to, you know, I've, what I've discovered through marriage is more often than not, I'm choosing love rather than, maybe not more often than not, but uh, like, <laughs> I should, uh, just, I, uh, I, never, extreme to I never would have gone so, there. Um, I never would have gone there. <laughs> I often, uh, like I have to often choose to love rather than just being like, I feel like this because love looks like patience, it looks like kindness, it looks like cleaning up dirty nappies, it, it, you know, it doesn't always look like, yay, like, woohoo, a great yeah. feeling. Um, right, next question before I dig myself a deeper hole. Yes. On the relationship theme, how to move on from unrequited love? Can, um, can we just, I, I didn't know this word until you, you told me what it meant. Unrequited, which is like love that you is, give, but it's not replicated. That's right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's, it's not fulfilled or it's not returned, it's I think. It's friend that. zone love. What do no. you do when you've been friend <laughs> zone? No, no, I don't know. Um, unrequited love. I mean, here is maybe the biggest pain in the human race um, and one of the facts that we hate to face and certainly when we're confronted with it, if we are ever confronted with it, and, and it's this, you cannot make someone love you. No matter how hard you try. Um, and I've seen, I've seen lots of relationships over the years. I've been marrying people for nearly 30. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's not necessarily that there's even anything wrong with you. And I know that's shallow. Like, we expect people to comfort us that way. But I've seen it. Where it's like, why wouldn't you be interested in this person? They would seem like the perfect person for you. But there's just that, that element is just missing. And you can't create it. You can't fabricate it. You can't, you know. So what do you do with unrequited love? Um, here's some advice that if you ask this question, you do not want to hear it. Okay? And it's, it's going to be very low comfort for you. Um, but uh, number one, probably everything that anyone who's ever tried to comfort you in a shallow way is right. Generally, not for everyone, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Generally, time heals all wounds. You know, they're the sort of cliches that we say to people that are hurting. But the fact is, cliches become cliches because there's an element of truth in them. And so all I'd say, if you are suffering and you've been, you know, sort of, I guess, jilted recently, um, the faster you decide, you know, number one, once you know it's over, once you've been given very clear, I, I, you know, I can understand this is over, the faster you choose to move on, the faster time will heal you. People don't heal over time because they hang on. Hang on to false hope. They hang on angrily or they hang on, you know, jealousy or jealously or whatever. They tie themselves with what we might call soul ties where you literally tie your inner world to someone else's inner world. And the problem is when you've got no control over their inner world, you're going to be a mess mm -hmm. really fast for a long time until you can untie that tie and decide 
to move forward. And when you do, time begins to do its precious work. And generally what you do see over time, now this isn't always, there maybe are some people that had one great love and never found another, they may, but they are the rarity. Most people look back over their early experiences of love not working out with a smile on their face or maybe even scratching their head thinking, what was I thinking? Yeah. That's often where you get Thank to. Thank God that didn't work yeah, out. Yeah, so I'm just saying, move on as fast as you can. What to do with unrequited love? Shake it off and stand on it. Very good. Hey, shifting gears, who are some people to follow on social media who are speaking wisdom into all the madness and political correctness? Oh, yeah, well... Uh, Except for yourself. Okay, so uh, <laughs> if, um, if we're talking blunt force trauma, if you want that, James McPherson. Now, having said that, having spoken to James recently, um, he's really worth a follow, but, I mean, you've you got to be ready to take a double-barrel shotgun of everything this society is not about right now. I think the problem is, is that we've, we, in our society by and large, we only have one voice. Most other voices have been shut down. We have one voice and that to me is dangerous. I don't mind, we should all be happy to listen to what people on other sides of other fences are saying. We should all be happy to do that. Uh, when it becomes dangerous is when there's no other side of the fence or when the other side of the fence is made to feel so dangerous that no one's game to be there. And I think that's a lot of our society now. We talk tolerance, but you, you understand it is tolerance for one particular narrative. And if you step outside of that narrative, you will be hammered. I mean, getting cancelled is probably the best thing that can happen to you now. I mean, that's probably the light end of the scale. And so uh, if you want a double-barrel shotgun blast of uh, opposing thought to the current social narrative... James McPherson. But I'm just warning you, that's what it is. And I said to him, mate, uh, I just find some of it is like so sarcastic and so caustic. I'm not sure I could really promote that. And he just said to me very simply, the other side of politics is simply not listening. The only thing you can do is ridicule them. It is the only way that they will engage is if you actually razz them so tough that they feel they have to engage you. Other than that, it's, I guess, in, in media, it is such a one-voice environment that they don't even need to worry about engaging anyone who does say something different. Mm. Now, that's a scary place to be living as a society. I think it's always healthy to have both sides of an argument so that you can actually decide. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that that's the current environment we're in unless you go looking for it. One place you'll find it. But I'm just warning you, uh, be ready. It's laugh out loud funny at times and it, it's very thoughtful and deep at times. At other times, it's really just, you know, ripping up people's ideas. So you just got to be prepared to read it for what it is. Yeah. Cool? I think it's good, I think it's good to, to, to read and listen broadly as well, I think. I was challenged by yourself to listen to some things I disagreed with. Yeah. And it's actually good to kind of understand it, where other people are it coming is. from too. Pastor Sue follows a particular website that's, you know, it's political persuasions and where it's coming from is very, very different to where traditionally we might be. But it's really, some of the stuff is really, really great because some of it, it's like, you know what? If I'm being really, really honest, the way this person is thinking has something to, it's a voice in the argument. Yeah. Can't, we, we cannot afford to be like so many people out there, which is one narrative, one argument, and they shut everything else down. 
You know, often Christians are accused of being in a, living in a closed loop because we're people of faith. But actually people, I think people who, who don't embrace faith, they're the actual ones who are living in a closed loop because they're saying there cannot possibly be anything outside of what I can touch, taste, feel and smell. It's people of faith that are actually open to things being bigger than what we realise. So I don't believe we're the closed loop ones. I think our society is rapidly becoming that. Very good. Hey, talking about disagreement, how do I redeem a relationship that's been broken because of disagreement of belief? Disagreement of belief. Okay. Yeah, well, that's really specific, which is good. That's, that's, I think... uh, I think number one, some, and I don't know whether the damage is done and beyond repair, but I think Christians need to become really good at apologising. I mean, if I look at God, and you might say, but I'm in the right, I can't... Hang on a sec. God was in the right, and his big apology was the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll let all your hatred and all your pain, I'll take it on me for the sake of the relationship. Were we right? <laughs> no. Bible says, well, you're still sinners. Christ died for you. God didn't wait for us to get things right. He just paid the price to keep the relationship. Mm. And so I think if we live Christ-centered lives and we understand what the cross really is and what it means, then we can apply it on every level. And in relationships, relationships are primary. And the only proviso I'd say out of that is if, unless it's toxic. If it's a toxic relationship that's actually pulling you down or draining you or whatever, well, then maybe you don't need to build a bridge back to it. But if it's someone that you journeyed in life with but you've just split ways because you believe different things, um, I I don't know. Jesus had a great ministry with people that were outside of covenant relationship with Christ. I look at the way he dealt with the woman at the well. I mean, the the whole Samaritan thing was all bar a cult. And yet Jesus talked to her about living water and instead of sort of focusing on what they had in difference, he focused on what her real thirst and need was. And I just think we as Christians need to become better at that. You can't do that if you've already blown the relationship. Yeah. If you blow a relationship, you have nothing further to say. Mm. So then it doesn't matter if you're right. It just is of no consequence because it will be unheard truth. If you keep a relationship going, yeah. Hey, good one here, which could be long, but I think you can summarise. How has sharing your faith evolved over your lifetime? Well, okay, using that exact last example, (laughs) um, flowing off that, I've got... I, I ask more questions and find out where people are at. I try to do that before I begin expressing where I'm at. Whereas I think when I was younger, I was pretty dogmatic. And I think we tend to be, when we're younger, we're more dogmatic. Um, you know, we sort of, uh, as our belief systems, etc., cetera, are, are sort of growing within us and evolving within us, we tend to have to really hold truth very tight and we're very dogmatic about it. And then as you get older, you realise some of the stuff I once believed, I don't think it works. And then once you've had a few experiences like that, you tend to hold truth loosely. And the beauty with that is truth really begins to breathe when you can hold it a bit looser. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, for example, listening to other people's opinions. So I've had some brilliant conversations in the last couple of years with people that once upon a time I would have been at loggerheads with within five minutes. 
And then I just realised, you know, if you, you know, for example, someone in a cult who actually is in a recognised cult, once upon a time, within five minutes, the battle lines would have been drawn, we both would have known where we stood, and no ground would have been gained whatsoever. All I did was walk away going, well, I knew you believed that. <laughs> and now you know what I believe, but you probably already knew that, so nothing's gained. But actually being able to have conversations out of a relationship and out of respect means that new, new discoveries and new bridges can be crossed. Mm. And all of those things become opportunities for the gospel. So I'd say I'm less dogmatic. I'm still totally committed can to just, Jesus. Can you just define dogmatic really quick? Oh, dogmatic's where, well, dogma is where you've just like set in belief and then you express it dogmatically is to be like, this is the way it is. Christians are really good at putting it this way. The Bible says... <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, the Bible says lots of things and I've often heard Christians really misinterpret that badly, including me. I'll put myself in that boat. So I just think we need to, there's another stance, that's really arrogant. There's another stance called humility, which is like, this is my story. This is my journey. I am convinced of that because I've experienced of it. Mm. Everything else outside of that, I've got to hold a little bit looser and, uh, and journey with people. And I, I, I just think that's what God calls us to do. I think for too long we've thought we're all mini evangelists. We just aren't. You know, I know evangelists who are gifted evangelists who honestly, I've seen them literally get up and talk about getting bitten by a blue cattle dog, give an altar call, ask people to come to Christ, and three or four guys in the church that people have been praying for for years rush to the front and give their lives to Jesus. Because there's a gift, there's an anointing on them to share the gospel. Um, but most of us aren't that. We're garden variety Christians. We're called to be salt and light, to love people, to bring seasoning to the world. And, um, and surely if we're mature, we can journey with people even when we disagree with them. It's like I really respect where you're coming from on that. I don't have to agree with it. Now, the problem is in our world, the way it's being, and we talked about this last, last week, people say that they want tolerance, they want acceptance, but actually that is quickly turning into I demand agreement and not only agreement, I demand you to promote what I believe. And that's very different to acceptance. So I think Christians should be able to be with anyone and be accepting without necessarily needing to believe what another person believes. Yeah, very good. Um, back on the, the Bible says... Uh, question here. I was told not to take part of the, uh, not to take parts of the Bible literally. What to truly believe and what needs a theological explanation or research? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Look, that that's, that is super complex, and I, I think what I would encourage you to do. There's there is some great books out there. Uh, almost pretty well anything by N. T. Wright will be very very helpful for anyone in the room. Um, but I think understanding. We've had a very simplistic view of the Bible at times, and, um, and that's great. That's a great place to start. Um, it's a, you, I think we can have a simplistic view of Scripture while we're journeying with God, growing our faith. But when it comes to sharing your faith or making big public statements, that's when you've really got to know what the Bible is, not just what the Bible says, but what it is, the different genres of the book. So, for example, one of the most common problems people have in interpreting Scripture is uh, there, will, there are songs in the Scripture. They're not promises, but sometimes they're quoted like they're promises. They're not promises, they're songs. And then if God doesn't show up on that promise, people are confused. It's like God breaks his promises. 
Um, there's many voices in scripture, at least five. The devil's in there. You don't want to be quoting him by mistake. Uh, devil's advocates are in there. People are actually batting for the other team. Their voice is recorded in scripture. Um, people of God that are in sin and distressed and sinning while they speak, literally, that's recorded in scripture. The voice of the Holy Spirit, of God himself, of course, is recorded in scripture. There's a number of different voices, so it pays you to know who you're quoting. You know what I mean? For a start. Um, and then, of course, there's other... So I'm just saying it, it is a bit more complex. So there's, it's, it's um, polyphonic in that sense. So it has different voices speaking to the same topics. Um, there's different genres. There's poetry. There's history. There's, there's other things that, you know, I can't even say the words for the kind of literature they are. And in some of that, some things are parable. For example... This is the funny thing. We have no problem letting Jesus tell a parable in the New Testament, okay? Now, what a parable is, is a made-up story that illustrates a truth, okay? We've got no problem with that. But when we go to the Old Testament, it's like we actually think every bit of it is literal. And some of it's poem and some of it's parable. For example, I'll just give you one example. The book of Jonah you won't find a Jewish rabbi. Remember, those books were Jewish. They know them better than most of us, okay? You won't find a Jewish rabbi that will preach Jonah as if it literally happened. That has always been treated as a parable by Jewish rabbis. It's in the prophetic books because it's about a make-believe prophet called Jonah. Shock horror? And so many people get it wrong. Christians die on the hill of arguing how you can live for three days in the belly of a fish and miss the fact that the whole point of the book is, is can you forgive people who've persecuted you and treated you horribly? And Jonah couldn't. And that's the point of the book. Even with God telling him to do it, he literally did not want to preach because he knew God was good and that God would forgive. Mm. And so that's sort of what the book's about. But at face value, sometimes people can die on the wrong hill when they don't treat Scripture the way the original writers of Scripture were writing it. That's so it I, does just, pay. Can I'm I just butt in? Yeah, because I, I think hearing all that's really good. When yeah. I heard that the first time, I thought, it, this makes me less confident to read Scripture because mm -hmm. I don't know what, what is. And <laughs> in the New Testament, it's clear because it says, Jesus said, and then the devil said. Then Jesus said, and then yeah. the devil said. Whereas throughout Scripture, it's more difficult. So mm -hmm. I think what's really helped me is just understanding when I don't understand something, it's probably because there's more going on than initially meets the eye. And also then having a place where you can ask those questions about scripture. That's why we love life groups. Um, in my life group, we're walk, working through, you know, a, a chapter a week of scripture and then coming together and discussing what are we applying from it and what questions do we have? I think scripture was never intended to just be read alone. There's so much power in that, and we mm -hmm. love that. We want to affirm that. Um, but just don't be freaked out by that. I think just know there might be more happening than what initially means. That, that's a really great handle on it. Uh, um, what we need to see is stuff that we don't understand or stuff that seems, you know, crazy. And you, You're not reading the Bible if you haven't come across some crazy stuff. Mm. You're just not reading it if you haven't. Um, but what that is is an invitation that there could be more going on. That's, that's actually what that is. So often the writers actually put things in there that would appear 
contradictory or strange or whatever. It's actually an invitation to dig out the, the truth because that's literally how ancient writers wrote. Yeah. They don't write the way that we do. For example, ancient history is not written the way modern history is. Modern history is we need to get all the facts right on the day to the hour and this and that and every name right. That is not how ancient history was written, not just in the Bible, but in any form of ancient history. Ancient history was written more from an, uh, um, the perspective of explaining how we got to here. It wasn't interested in the facts and figures the way we are. So that's why when people try and hold up a Bible history book as like history, world history book, you're going to find some problems with that. That's good. You're going to run into problems if you do that because it's not what the original writers were trying to achieve. Um, this, what, I think this is great. I think we could sit here all night and talk yeah, about true. this. Yeah, so true. We've got bulk questions coming in, so we might move on. That's a good answer, right? Yeah, good. All right, let's continue. Uh, I, I think it, It's part of the answer. It's part of the answer, yeah. Hey, in the foyer afterwards, Pastor Chris would love to tell you what's literal and what isn't. No. Um, hey, it feels a lot easier to repost scriptures or quotes on social media than talk to my friends. Do you think this is classed as sharing my faith? Oh, well, without a doubt, you're nailing your colours to the wall, aren't you? Mm. You're saying, I believe in the Bible, I believe in God. Um, I, I just think we've got to be really careful, even when we're answering questions tonight. There's certain questions I wouldn't answer tonight if they were asked. Because it's so important that we don't get trapped by a soundbite. When we post stuff like that, it's so, um, it's so limited. You know, it's almost like every time you say something, you're actually not saying something else. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Like, uh, and it's, it's so easy to get trapped in words like that. And I, I, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure our society that the lights go on when we, when we quote scripture like that. Not just when we blast it into the other reel. So I'm not a big fan of that. I think uh, our society relates to story, which is fantastic because the Bible's full of them. But, you know, when it's just like, here's my favourite scripture, it might be different if, you, you know, you know you've got a lot of Christian friends on your Facebook and you want to encourage them and God really speaks to you through your journaling and you want to post something that really blessed you, great, go for it. I think my, my answer to this would be, I think it's helpful. I think it just needs to be a balance. I think when it's out of balance and all I do is post Bible scriptures and no one actually gets to see my life, then it's out of balance. But I think people want to see your life, show them your life. And part of that is your faith, so it should be reflected on your, on your social media. But I think I've been convicted both ways in the past where I feel like, actually, I'm just sharing all my highlights and nothing to do with my faith. And then on the flip side, I've had times where all I share is church things. And it's like, I don't yeah. think my non-Christian friends really are that interested in that. So I think it just requires wisdom and getting a bit of balance there as well. I don't mm. think it's one way or the other, but I don't think there's a solution in just, you know, is it sharing your faith? Yeah, I think it's saying I'm open to a conversation about this, but I think it just begins there. It has to begin. It has right. to go further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, I follow on from the last question. You guys doing okay? Yeah. yeah? Uh, can you be attracted? Oh, I've lost it. Can we be? Can we get attracted towards someone without lust? I have thought. I thought on it. I think just I looked up the definition of lust because uh, I'm, doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of definition searching here. <laughs> okay. um, I think if you look at lust as unbridled sexual, uh, what did it say? Unbridled sexual desire. Um, I, 
I think that to be attracted to someone, there's always going to be a sexual element to it, right? Mm. We're sexual mm. beings. We're attracted to people because we think they're good looking because we're attracted to them sexually. But I think there just has to be more than that. It can't just be... Um, it can't just be, they look good, so I'm keen on this. That's, I think, what lust is. It's like all I desire about them is the sexual aspects of them mm-hmm. and not more than that. I think that's where you're in danger um, because stuff like that doesn't, you know, last forever. And I think a lot of people kind of go through that and they experience that and then on the other end they're, they're left with, I didn't ever even know who this person was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they end up in marriage crisis or relationship falling apart or feeling like I don't know what I ever used to see in this person because they're attracted to them on a surface level rather than being attracted to what was deeper than that. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've got something to add. I think sexual I think that's attraction great. is part of it but it can never be the whole thing um, or you're in for a, a hollow... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe, obviously, often, initially, someone might catch your eye. It's like, oh, wow, that's, the person looks amazing and is amazing and you get talking to them and get to know them in a little while and maybe they're not as amazing as you thought. <laughs> but the problem is, if you just, well, I mean, uh, uh, the, I think the word is limerence, that when we're really highly attracted to someone... Uh, our brains, the endorphins and stuff that are released in our brains. Now, I might not be right about that chemical, but chemi- there's a chemical release. Dopamine, I think it is. Yeah, or dopamine, yeah, yeah. And it, it actually basically gives you tunnel vision. So it's the way the body, you know, is used to hunt, to mate, to all those things. We go to those... This is the problem with lust, really, just unbridled. It's a base instinct. So there's survival instincts. And so it does stuff like narrow your vision... And so you don't see all the peripheral issues that could be really big issues with someone you want to build a life with. All you see is them in the tunnel, the bits you want to see. And at that point, you can make really poor quality decisions that you regret later on. Because, and that's, that's the, when, when you're in that limerence, that's when a good friend might say, oh, I think you're going way too fast here and you can't even hear them. Speak to the hand, you know. You don't want to hear them because you're down the... You, your body is just fireworks and it's taken all your peripheral vision of wisdom and listening and it's just gone. You're just... And we've, we've probably all seen someone like that. They're just down the rabbit hole and you can't pull them back until the whole thing collapses on them and then you're helping them rebuild their lives. Hey, we've probably got time for two more questions. Great. Uh, this one's come in twice. So I want to, want to get to it. Um... How do you have faith in God when you don't have faith in yourself? Mm, wow. Wow. I believe there's a Lizzo song that has lyrics along the lines of, you've got to love yourself to love somebody else. But uh, Yeah, I, look, I'm not sure whether that's true. I know we've made a lot of that. I think that you can, you'll always be a messy person until you can accept yourself. You'll always be high-maintenance intense and messy until you get actually comfortable in your own skin and happy with yourself. So embracing yourself, self-love is a very important thing. Um, But I'm not sure, I think even learning how to self-love probably comes out of connection to God. Well, it did for me. I can only talk about my experience. It probably only come from my connection to God first, knowing that I was accepted unconditionally, loved unconditionally, forgiven unconditionally. It was like, well, if God sees something in me, maybe there is something in me. 
and that eventually gets to the point where you realise through reading scripture, hang on a sec, I've got an enemy of my soul that wants to put me down. I think I've been listening too much to that voice. And then I've got this very clear voice in scripture which is totally affirming me, Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made, that kind of thing. And it come to a point where it's, who am I going to agree with? Am I going to agree with the God who created me and loves me and has sort of paid a huge price to show me that love? Or am I going to listen to another voice that is continuously pulling me down and causing me to be fearful and insecure? And I think we've all got that. We all have to come to a point, as it's part of the maturing process, whose report are you going to believe? You're going to believe what God says about you? Or what Instagram says about you? What an impossible to keep up with image conscious media says about you? Or what the God who created you and was willing to lay his life down for you says about you? Who are you going to believe? And that is faith in its rawest essence, is choosing to believe what God says over what every other voice says. That is faith in its purest essence. If you look at it, it's the one thing God lost in the garden. Someone said to me just last week after our conversations, um, um, why faith? Why does God need faith? And, and to me, the thought has always been it's the only thing he lost in the garden. When man chose not to actually believe what he said and believe what another voice that became very destructive said. So now it's the one thing God's looking for. Will you listen to me? Will you just trust me? And it's, you know, literally, you know, if you look at it figuratively in the Garden of Eden, etc., it's the way back to life, is actual trust in, in the Word of God. So, but we won't go there. It just gets, no, I think that's great. gets and deeper. Hey, final question. Um, what do I do when I feel disconnected from God? Yeah, well, <laughs> the age-old question. And this is where books like Job in Scripture and a lot of the Psalms, you know, have you ever read a Psalm and thought, my goodness, this person's in a mess? You know, they're screaming out, they're gnashing their teeth, they're clawing their walls, you know, they're clawing the walls, you know, and crying out, God, why won't you answer me? Um, that's, that's some of the human voices, particularly in Psalms, because it's a songbook. Come on, even now, we look to songs to express emotions that we can't feel. That's when you love a song when it's like, oh, it's almost like it's singing about me. That's how I feel right now, you know. Um, and well, they, these are ancient, inspired by the Holy Spirit songs that came from hearts cry, from, from human hearts. And so you have awesome revelation of God. You also have awesome revelation of humanity. Um, what was the question again? What do I do when I feel disconnected from the Lord? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, reading Scripture is, is not a bad thing to do. Even, I reckon, I, I reckon this is true of just every spiritual discipline. The best time to do it is when you least feel like it. The most power I've ever had in reading Scripture is when I've least felt like reading Scripture. I feel dry as a bone. I feel, you know, whatever, discouraged, angry with God over things not going my way or someone else's way that I thought was unjust or whatever. And it's like, you know, God, what are you doing? I feel like you've left the planet. And it's when I push in at those times. And often it's surprised by God. So I wasn't expecting that in my prayer time or in... So the same with prayer same with going to church. 
where I'm just not expecting it. I feel dry, I feel dead, I feel like God left town, I feel the, the ceiling's brass. And if I choose to push in there, and I think often that's an incredible connection point with God because that's when you really have faith. You know, it doesn't, here's the funny thing, when things are going well, we don't really use faith. We might thank God and be grateful, but we're not generally exercising faith when things are going right. Think about it. It's kind of like life's good, life's good. When life turns you upside down and it's not fair, that's where you've got to exercise faith. When it feels like God is a million miles away and he, Elvis has left the building, man. <laughs> when it feels like that and you seek God, that's when it's faith. So I just encourage you, like you feel disconnected, go, wow, I am on the threshold of something amazing here. If I can exercise some faith, come before his presence with singing. You know, like if I can push into God right when I feel like God left town, that's probably, think about Jacob, wrestled all night, wrestled all night saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Uh, and then what happened was a painful touch that changed the way he walked for the rest of his life. And those God encounters are available to each of us. And I think the most significant ones happen when we're in a point of pain or disillusionment or disconnection. I love that. It reminds me of that lyric that we sung earlier from the gravest of all valleys come the pastures we call grace. And I think it's amazing that sometimes it's through the challenge, it's through the hard time, it's through the struggle, it's through the failure that we actually find, um, you know, a fresh experience of God, a fresh touch of God. That's great. I just want to thank everyone for questions that came in and we'll take notice of the ones we haven't been able to, to address. And certainly, as, as we did in the morning, morning service, look to build even message series is around answering themes so that we're actually speaking and I think scripture can speak directly to the things we're actually, the questions we're actually asking, not the ones that we as leaders sometimes just assume people are asking or assume need to be answered. But it can be a little bit more maybe driven by what's going on in our world and our hearts at the moment because I am convinced God has answers. Yeah.